everyone. It's Monique. And London. And as usual, as is usually the case, I should say, this month's podcast is based on a patient that I saw in the emergency department. Um, Richard was a 23-year-old man who had presented to the emergency department with epigastric pain with a history of acute pancreatitis secondary to heavy alcohol consumption about a month ago. His lipase at that time was 834, and his CT showed some peri pancreatic fluid collections. He was admitted to hospital for pain relief and educated not to drink to allow the pancreas time to heal. Well, he had been good, but the previous weekend had a work function where he had indulged in heavy liquor and was now presenting with more abdominal pain and nausea. So we thought it would be helpful for us to review pancreatitis. And sadly as well, it is unfortunately timely that Alex Trebek, who, by the way, is Canadian, was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, although I hear he's doing quite well. But uh, we will mention the correlation between pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer. Can I be very clear that we are not suggesting that, that Alex Trebek, Trebek is, an, is alcoholic. an alcoholic? I was just thinking that. I suddenly as thought, you... oh dear, I hope nobody thinks that that's the case. Not at all. Um, but uh, we do. We we just it just happened to be timely in my head about that. Anyway, so very very quick anatomy lesson: the pancreas is a flat gland that secretes hormones to regulate blo- blood sugar levels, and it's also a digestive organ because it produces digestive enzymes, and it's located behind the stomach very quickly <laughs> that's it yeah that's all done that's it's all you need done. to know about it that's it, all you it need does to know. some stuff it does <laughs> so pancreatitis is an inflammation of the pancreas and there are two forms of pancreatitis acute and chronic acute pancreatitis involves an abrupt onset of symptoms that can vary in severity from mild to life-threatening the pancreas becomes inflamed but it only stays that way for a few days and there isn't any permanent damage About one in five cases of acute pancreatitis are severe, and despite advances in critical care medicine over the past 20 years, the mortality rate of acute pancreatitis has stayed at about 10%. That's significant. That is significant. Acute pancreatitis is clinically is divided into the following. Mild acute pancreatitis, which is characterized by the absence of organ failure and local or systemic complications. Uh Moderately severe acute pancreatitis, which is characterized by transient organ failure that resolves within 48 hours, or local systemic complications without persistent organ failure greater than 48 hours. Okay. Or severe acute pancreatitis, which is characterized by persistent organ failure that may involve one or multiple organs. Yeah, so that's probably why the mortality rate's 10% for mm-hmm. those, uh, you know, um, organ failure type patients. So the most common cause of acute pancreatitis is stones in the gallbladder. So your gallstones uh, pass through the common bile duct to enter the small intestine. And at the entry of the small intestine, the main pancreatic duct joins or lies immediately next to the common bile duct. And what we think happens is that stones get stuck in the common bile duct, which impinge on the main pancreatic duct, which causes an obstruction of the normal flow of pancreatic fluid and leading to pancreatic injury. Another way that a stone can cause pancreatitis is by causing a backflow of bile into the pancreatic duct, resulting in pancreatic injury. Whereas the actual mechanism of how gallstones cause pancreatitis is not entirely certain, the association of gallstones and pancreatitis is quite clear. 
So FYI, patients with type 2 diabetes tend to have more gallstones than the general population, and often they have high triglyceride levels and therefore are prone to both acute and chronic pancreatitis. Other causes of acute pancreatitis include, as I said, high triglyceride levels, some medications, hypercalcemia, um, and in the case of my young man, heavy alcohol use. Between 17 to 25% of patients who develop acute pancreatitis will experience a recurrent episode within the first several years. And preventing a recurrence is a major goal of treatment with our efforts focused really on identifying the cause and triggers to prevent further episodes. Now, chronic pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas that does not heal or improve. It gets worse over time and leads to permanent damage. Chronic pancreatitis eventually impairs a patient's ability to digest food and make pancreatic hormones. Usually the digestive enzymes are released from the pancreas into the upper intestine. With chronic pancreatitis, these enzymes are trapped in the pancreas, which causes pain and swelling, and eventually these trapped enzymes actually digest the pancreas. Yeah. In industrialized countries, there's an estimated annual incidence rate of 5 to 12 per 100,000 people who will develop chronic pancreatitis. Chronic alcohol abuse is the leading culprit behind chronic pancreatitis. It causes more severe pain, more damage to the pancreas and ducts, and a quicker progression to loss of endocrine function, endocrine and exocrine function, sorry. It's important for us to define what is heavy drinking. A review in the literature on the management of chronic pancreatitis published in the May 2013 Gastroenterology Journal defines very heavy drinking as long-term ingestion of five or more drinks per day. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. But it isn't just about alcohol misuse. A predisposition to chronic pancreatitis from alcohol misuse is part is in part in genetics. There are patients who drank a considerable amount of alcohol and never developed problems, while others who drank less developed chronic or acute pancreatitis. So it's a little bit like cigarette smoking, where some people will get lung cancer, others won't. In the Journal of Nature Genetics in 2012, there was a genome-wide association study published which showed that patients with alcohol chronic pancreatitis were more likely to have mutation in the Claudin-2 gene. Well, of course, it's the Claudin-2 gene. <laughs> I thought it was the Claudin-6 gene, no, but no, it's the Claudin-2 gene. For you nerds, yeah. which apparently I'm not when it comes yeah. to genetics, Claudin-2 is a protein in the body actually one of 27 proteins that regulate cell barrier function. It provides a pathway for the paracellular transport of sodium, potassium, and fluid. We're not sure exactly how this translates to making them more susceptible for chronic pancreatitis, but it is noteworthy, and as it says, it seems that a mutation of the Claudin-2 gene and alcohol is associated with a risk of chronic pancreatitis. It does seem like the main risk comes from repeated bouts that insult the pancreas over time rather than the mutation. This is just kind of interesting of note, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe uh, might be down the road a way for people to evaluate their risk, right? I don't right. Know. Yeah. I think we've all seen pancreatitis diagnosed in patients who come to the ED, but there is sometimes some difficulty in determining whether it's acute or chronic pancreatitis. And usually, though, in acute pancreatitis, patients come in with severe unrelenting pain, whereas in chronic pancreatitis, it may be more dull, continual, or episodic 
chaotic with relation to eating, and it may change or even disappear over time. Diagnosing acute pancreatitis is usually uh, testing serum amylase and lipase, and typically these enzymes would be elevated three times the normal level. However, in chronic pancreatitis, these enzymes may not be elevated at all. Because they can't get out. Yeah, exactly. So in acute pancreatitis, these patients may also get an ultrasound to rule out whether the cause is related to, related to gallstones. They may also get a CT scan depending on their clinical condition or later on during hospitalization to rule out any further complications. In chronic pancreatitis, pain can occur early in the course of the disease because there is some, uh, before there's structural abnormalities in the pancreas seen on imaging. Uh, because the other symptoms of chronic pancreatitis like pain, early station, nausea, diarrhea, oily stools, weight loss, jaundice, and malabsorption of nutrients, vitamins, and fat overlap with a lot of other GI conditions, it's probably prudent to refer these patients to a G GI or GE specialist. Of note, individuals with chronic pancreatitis frequently lose weight, even when their appetite and eating habits are normal. Um, this occurs because the body does not secrete enough pancreatic enzymes to digest the food, so the nutrients are not absorbed normally, which leads to malnutrition. So likely those patients may require some further testing like MRI, MR, oh boy, cholangiopancreatography. <gasps> oh, that was really good. Thank you very much. Endoscopic ultrasound. Oh, great. Ultrasound and ERCP. Oh, boy. Endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography to have a better view of the pancreas, gallbladder, and the biliary ducts. When you're tired of being an emergency <gasps> nurse practitioner, you yeah. could go work in GI. I think, because I said you those can words, say the words pretty well. I know, very good. So most patients who come in with acute pancreatitis or have an acute episode of their chronic pancreatitis cases um, usually require hospitalization for three to five days for close monitoring, pain control, and IV fluids. Um, one of the primary Therapies for pancreatitis is early fluid resuscitation, especially within the first 24 hours of onset. Um, it's often associated with a lot of swelling and inflammation. So giving IV fluids prevents dehydration and ensures that the rest of the organs of the body get um, adequate blood flow to support the healing process. Initially, patients are NPO to rest the pancreas and bowels, probably the 24 to 48 hours. And then after 48 hours, there should be some plan to provide nutrition because it's a highly active state of inflammation and injury, and it requires a lot of calories to support the healing process. If the patients can eat, that's great, but they may actually need TPN or a feeding tube, depending on how clinically unstable there is. There's no benefit, by the way, of using uh, probiotics for acute pancreatitis. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Generally, these patients are in acute pain, and mm -hmm. therefore pain control is imperative. Non-narcotic analgesics, such as the NSAIDs, acetaminophen, and tramadol can be effective. But if pain persists, it is reasonable to use narcotics. Mm -hmm. Just remember that while narcotics are great for acute pain, they really should only be used for a short duration. Pain will resolve as the inflammation resolves. And you can listen to our podcast from a couple of months ago about... Yeah, pain. Pain. Yeah, pain management. Yeah. If the cause of the pancreatitis is due to gallstones, the patient may require an ERCP... Are you going to say it? No, because you already said it. <laughs> what an ERCP is, is a small catheter is passed into the bile duct to remove gallstones that may have gotten stuck. Other procedures can also be performed with ERCP, like a sphincterotomy. 
where a small cut is made in the muscle that surrounds the pancreatic duct or bile duct to enlarge the duct opening. A stent can also be placed in the narrowed pancreatic or bile duct to keep it open, and some endoscopes have a small balloon to dilate or stretch a pancreatic or bile duct. Again, of note, some patients have come in with cholecystitis or cholelithiasis, which is gallstones, who require an ERCP. And one of the main side effects is pancreatitis. Yeah. So you can get it based on totally. And I would say that of any of the outpatient procedures, ERCP is the one that I know. Lots of people end up coming back with with things, pancreatitis or just pain, unexplained pain, that kind of thing. So I I think for emergency nurses, especially if you work in a place that doesn't do ERCPs, Mm -hmm. and maybe these people have gone back to their home community and they come in, those are some letters to maybe just remember. And they're doing a lot of little work in these little ducts that things can, you know, get stuck or 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 inflamed too much or whatever. And it's, these people can get really sick. So it's just one of those ones to kind of remember and go, hmm, post ERCP pain. Yeah. Mm, That's one I remember. I should probably encourage our physician to call the specialist who did this. So that was a soapbox. Sorry. Of interest, there is some research looking into antioxidant therapy. Basic and clinical evidence suggests that the development of both acute and chronic pancreatitis can be associated with oxidative stress. Findings show that free radical activity and oxidative stress indices are higher in the blood and duodenal juice of patients with pancreatitis. Based on these findings, the idea of using antioxidant regimens in the management of both acute and chronic pancreatitis as a supplement and complementary in combination with traditional therapy is reasonable. In practice, however, the overall effectiveness of antioxidants is not known, and the best mixture of agents and dosages isn't clear. So currently, a trial of a mixture of antioxidants containing vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, and methionine, 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 never heard of it, is reasonable as one component of overall medical management. There is definitely no consensus on the dosage, length of therapy, and ultimately the benefits of antioxidant therapy in the management of pancreatitis. So as we always say, further well-designed clinical (laughs) studies are needed to determine the appropriate combination of agents, time of initiation, and duration of therapy. But you may see it. Yeah, but I think it's always interesting that we should always acknowledge that people are doing some research. It's, Mm -hmm. um, It's important that we don't think that this is the way it's going to be forever, that people are always looking at, is there a better way for treating this? So, But what um, can go wrong, Monique? Well, I'm going to just talk about that. There are some complications of pancreatitis that we need to be aware of. And some of these uh, complications include um, pseudocysts, biliary and gastric outlet obstructions, and pancreatic duct disruptions. And they usually need to be treated surgically. But we should be vigilant for the worsening signs, particularly of chronic pancreatitis, uh, particularly increased or unresponsive uh, pain or changes in the type of pain, significant weight loss, and symptoms of obstructive jaundice, as there is an increased risk of pancreatic cancer in these patients. In fact, the risk of pancreatic cancer is about five to 10 times that of people without chronic pancreatitis, especially in patients who have had chronic pancreatitis more than 10 years. So it's a significant risk. Patients with chronic pancreatitis are also at increased risk for diabetes due to, of course, the destruction of the islet cells in the pancreas. Diabetes is one of the cardinal symptoms of chronic pancreatitis. Diabetes is seen in 20 to 60% of patients with chronic pancreatitis, and it's also 
independently associated with acute pancreatitis. So we should be testing for diabetes in patients who have acute pancreatitis. Also, diabetes can be a sign of pancreatic cancer. If it is a new onset diabetes and there is uh, abdominal symptoms with no history of pancreatic disease, with pain, weight loss, and diarrhea, we should probably do a bit more of an investigation. Uh, The other group of patients that may develop chronic pancreatitis are patients with cystic fibrosis and familial chronic pancreatitis. So it's a manifestation of the genetic mutation that causes both cystic fibrosis and familial chronic pancreatitis. One of the severe complications of acute pancreatitis is necrotizing pancreatitis, where a portion of your pancreatic tissue is necrotic. And over time, the body will reabsorb this dead tissue. But in some cases, this dead tissue can become a source of infection. And these patients would be quite unwell. They usually need a needle biopsy. And after drainage, will likely require antibiotics. So we do think it's important to stress to patients as well that repeat episodes of acute pancreatitis may lead to chronic pancreatitis bad it's badness it's badness yeah so let's talk about the role of alcohol mm-hmm. again again let me say alex trebek is not an, an alcoholic. alcoholic doesn't need to be clear there because yes. i feel badly that i mentioned him because he is like a canadian treasure i know he is so i don't want to make any kind of bad words about alex trebek <laughs> i love jeopardy <laughs> All right. Little squirrel there. (laughs) So because of the prevalence of pancreatitis and alcohol consumption, we thought we would take some time to concentrate a bit on this subject. Though gallstones are the most common cause of acute pancreatitis, pancreatitis caused by alcohol use is the most dangerous as it can lead to chronic pancreatitis, which we hope we have stressed how debilitating that can be. We aren't sure exactly how alcohol causes pancreatitis. One theory is that the molecules in alcohol interfere with the cells of the pancreas, stopping them from working properly. Whatever the cause, there is a clear link between drinking alcohol and acute pancreatitis. And the more alcohol you drink, the higher your risk of developing pancreatitis. Numerous studies have shown a correlation between alcohol consumption and the risk of acute pancreatitis. But researchers have wondered why only one to 3% of heavy alcohol drinkers defined as four to five drinks per day, will develop acute pancreatitis over a span of 10 to 20 years. In 2011, Dr. Azodi, Azodio. Yeah, that's his name. His last name is O. Yeah. That's that's cool. Yeah, I know. Dr. Azodi O and colleagues published in the British Journal of Surgery, a study looking at the effect of the type of alcoholic beverage in causing pancreatitis. It was the first large study to look at the amount and type of alcohol consumed during one sitting and over certain durations. The results of the study showed that drinking large amounts of hard liquor at one sitting significantly increases a person's risk for developing acute pancreatitis. The researchers followed 84,600 one individuals who were aged 46 to 84 for about a decade and 513 of them developed acute pancreatitis. The participants were representative of the Swedish population and the majority of them usually consumed more than one to two alcoholic beverages per day. They all filled out questionnaires on their alcohol consumption, diet, smoking, and lifestyle factors, and provided their medical history. The researchers linked that information to hospital admission records for acute pancreatitis from the Swedish patient register. The study showed that for every increment of five drinks of hard liquor, one drink considered being 40 mils, 
So that's an ounce yeah. and a bit. Right. It's a it's a happy ounce. <laughs> it's a happy ounce. Uh, well, it's actually one and a third ounces. So yeah, it is. That's a yeah. That's giving the bartender a big tip kind yeah, of ounce. Yeah. Uh, so the study showed that for every increment of five drinks of hard liquor consumed in one sitting, the risk of developing acute pancreatitis increased by 52%. Hmm. However, there was no such increased risk associated with beer or wine consumed in one sitting. Yay, I can have my wine. However, people who drink wine aren't very nice to be around. <sighs> That's not true. That's what he said in the study. No, that's not what it said. No, it's not what it said. <laughs> Individuals who drank any amount of beer or wine over a shorter long or long period were no more likely to develop acute pancreatitis than individuals who didn't drink. Thank goodness. The researchers also found that overall, the amount of hard liquor consumed over the course of a month had no effect on the development of pancreatitis. Okay. The study's, author be- the study's authors believe that these results could reflect the antioxidant capacity of wine and beer. One of the ways alcohol damages the pancreas is by inducing oxidative stress, as we said before. So unlike spirits, wine and beer both contain polyphenols, which are antioxidants that neutralize harmful oxidation. Yay for wine and beer! That doesn't mean, though, that you should be drinking five glasses of wine a day. Because you know what? Alex Trebek is listening to us right now, <laughs> and he's going to start drinking beer no, or wine, no. thinking it's going to help his pancreas. No, tell him not to. You are killing Alex Trebek. No, I'm not. So in 2014, the report there was a report by the World Health Organization, and it examined 196 countries to assess which country had the heaviest drinking. Now, this might surprise you. I already knew this. The highest overall alcohol consumption was in Belarus, with 17.5 units of pure alcohol drunk per person annually. And the next one was the Republic of Moldova. Next door. Lithuania and the Russian Federation. Just above. Yeah. Austria <laughs> was door. highest for the heavy for heavy episodic drinking, with forty point five percent of the population having had at least six units of alcohol in one sitting. In the previous month, in the previous month, excuse me. So um, 40.5% of Austrians had at least six units of alcohol in one sitting in the previous month. The next group was episodic drinking. No surprise here, the Irish, 39 cents. 39%, sorry. And then the Czech Republic, 38%. So the World Health Organization experts said that more than 3 million people died globally as a result of alcohol during 2012, with reasons ranging from cancer to violence. And according to the report, Britain is among the worst countries in the world for binge drinking. In total, 28% of Britons were classified as having had episodes of heavy drinking in the previous month almost twice as much as the global average of 16%. So for overall alcohol consumption, Britain was the 25th highest. One of the reasons that we're talking about Britain, why um, I I titled this podcast um, Drink Aware, is because the UK has developed a drinking app called Drink Aware. And Drink Aware is an independent charity working to reduce alcohol misuse and harm in the UK. The 
The app is used or designed to help people make better choices about drinking. Uh, their website has a lot of information that's very helpful, and the app can be downloaded on the App Store or Google Play. And I need you to know I get no money from that. No. I just think it's kind of interesting that they're trying to reach people, especially younger people, with uh, technology that may not have thought about it before. So if go, you, go Britain. I know. I think that's amazing. We don't make any, any money off of it. No. But not. we are loyal subjects of the queen. <laughs> yes, we who are. We may make money off of it. <laughs> exactly. She has to buy the jewel from somewhere. I know. So as healthcare professionals, it is imperative that we counsel patients on alcohol use. Sometimes we think that patients will not stop drinking just because we tell them not to drink. But there was a study in the Journal of Gastroenterology. They're, they do a lot of studies, that Journal of Gastroenterology, in April 2009 that suggested that a simple 30-minute discussion can help patients abstain from alcohol when delivered in a repeated and systematic way. Basically, we should have a script and patients should be told each time they come in about the importance of abstaining and that repetition does seem to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Some people have also suggested that when you are talking, sorry, take talking about abstaining from alcohol, we should also be discussing smoking cessation. Smoking is a major risk factor for chronic pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer. However, the mechanisms through which it causes the diseases remain unknown. In rat studies, it appears that cigarette smoke increases pancreatic enzymes. Also, it appears that smoking exacerbates the clinical effects of alcohol in pancreatitis, leading to worsening pancreatic ischemia. Quite amazing, isn't it? All these kind of things that we uh, that are related to one another. I will tell you, um, Landa, that I did have quite the talk with Richard and his partner. Well, I should hope so. I did. And, you know, it kind of made me a little bit uh, sad because this is a young boy who's only 25 years old. And for him to have such a severe case of pancreatitis and having already a repeated uh, dose or repeated episode within a month, you know, I think it is kind of sad. And so we really talked about abstaining from alcohol and talking about strategies when he was faced with work functions where he would be exposed to alcohol. Um, and I really did tell him that at his age, having such repeated admissions for pancreatitis, he was shortening his lifespan. And so, you know, it is important that we talk about it. I think, you know, we don't want to shy away for those things. And for the most part, acute pancreatitis can be treated. And often there is um, a little pancreatic long-term damage, but the concerns are really about the complications that are associated how it becomes chronic pancreatitis, and how important it is for us as health professionals to focus on efforts towards prevention and mitigating risks. Um, I think we see it enough that it is concerning to us. And I think that when you have patients who are coming in with pancreatitis, it is important to ask them about smoking and drinking and seeing if that has something to do with it. And just being vigilant about some of those red flag things about weight loss and jaundice and pain that's unimaginable and uh, thinking about pancreatic cancer i think that's it that's great i know i learned and so much about pancreatitis. pancreatitis and i have learned that i can actually finish up this podcast and have a glass of wine right now yes you can because it has antioxidants yes it does good I might pop a few blueberry in the glass of wine and I'll be really double antioxidant. Double. It's a double. That's what we should call it. A wine and blueberries. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we shall see you next month. Next month. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
for past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.